past 12, join us on Facebook Live because back in Hong Kong is our man, James Marsh. We're up there rocking and rolling. How's the jet lag going? You're right. Uh, it's actually um, it's suiting the World Cup quite well. Oh yeah. So oh, I'm yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I'm sort of up all night watching football and then sleeping during the day. And uh, so if I just suddenly pass out in the middle of this conversation, don't take it too personally. But I, I am on about blame Japan. I'm on about an hour's sleep at the moment, and they. Yeah. Uh, but you're still in UK they, time. You, you know. Oh yeah, I mean the UK was brilliant for watching the football. It was like first kickoffs <laughs> at ten a.m., <laughs> the last kickoffs at seven p.m. It was uh, yeah, it was uh, much more uh, hospitable than than this is. However, oh, I know. I'm glad to hear you back in shouty mode because you had to do subtone when you were at home, didn't you? This is true because it was at four o'clock in the morning. Now it's noon and the sun is shining. And <laughs> although it's cold, I, I can assume, I think, that my neighbours will be awake. And I if not, so. then that's not my problem. This is Hong yeah. Kong. So you're off the hook. Brilliant. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much. It is nice to be back. Um, I have yet to venture outside or uh, today. I only went, I only uh, got my uh, got my QR code clearance this morning. So I, I mean, I've been outside, obviously, <laughs> but I haven't been there. Uh, you know, in anywhere, in a restaurant or a bar or anything Brilliant. like that. One more call. Join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to join in with James. The Brew is the page. I just read out the list of songs, but I can't remember what they were. Oh, sorry, let's see. It's me that's got jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so, okay, today we... Uh, because, because I haven't uh, been allowed to go to the cinema yet, um, there's only one of this week's uh, new releases uh, opening theatrically that I have seen, oh, which yeah. is The Menu. Oh, I want to see Which that. I was fortunate. To see that. I was fortunate enough to see that in um, in Busan last month. So that is, uh, you know, sort of uh, darkly comic satire uh, starring Ray Fine. So that is out. Um, everything else is on the uh, the streaming services. We have oh, yeah. Troll oh, on yeah. Netflix. Uh, also, a new version of Lady Chatterley's Lover starring Emma Corrin and Jack O'Connell. Uh, and then over on Amazon Prime. Yeah. We have the uh, the sort of Mars mission documentary Good Night Oppie. So uh, all right, lots to talk about. Uh, I think first of all, though, we should probably talk about the new um, Indiana Jones trailer, which just dropped this morning. Indiana okay. Jones Five, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as I believe it's called. Um, you know, India is one of those franchises, isn't it? It's a bit like Star Wars. It's a bit like all the others that ever since uh, Disney got their hands on it, they're like, yes, we must make more. We must keep cranking them out. Why not? Uh, we must be bringing back the beloved characters, regardless of how old they are or how beloved everybody really uh, feels about them. And we thought uh, Kingdom of the Christian Sk Crystal Skull, what was that, back in 2008? We thought that was going to be the last hurrah for Harrison Ford nah, as uh, Indiana Jones. Nah. But no. I mean, he's come out recently and said, there, there will not be no Indiana Jones after me. I am Indiana well, Jones. He and uh, I mean, he's he will not lying, die with me. is he? Well, he, unfortunately, I hate to break it to him, but Disney, I'm sure, has other plans. Oh, come on. And what do you reckon? Well, I, I think even... If, well, there was, a, there was a rumor going around for a while that Chris Pratt was was circling fair play the role i think it was around the time of the first jurassic world movie where his character in that was was not uh dissimilar to a sort of an indiana jones type however for now uh the 80 something uh, year old harrison ford is still in uh fedora and whip and leather jacket and he's still uh you know traveling the world 
rescuing antiquities from Nazis and all the rest of it. And Dial of Destiny looks like um, more of the same. Uh, the big talking point in this new trailer is that they have, um, at least in one section, de-aged Harrison Ford. It's not going to be for the whole movie. Because a lot of the movie you see, a lot of the trailer, you already see him talking about how he's he's too old for this, and and uh, John Reese Davis is there as Salar, and they're, they're sort of saying, "Oh, come on, one more go around, blah blah blah." Um, but I believe, you know, kind of the way that James Bond has an opening sequence, the Indiana Jones mi- movies tend to have a kind of mini adventure at the beginning, mm-hmm. and my understanding is that it is that sequence at the start of the film, which will be set many years earlier, and you will have a de-aged Harrison Ford. Now we've, you know, and we get a glimpse of that and in the in the glimpse in the trailer it looks okay and we know from marvel movies maybe mainly that um and star wars movies that the technology is getting there to do this to do these kind of de-aged versions samuel l jackson and captain marvel was a good example of of a major character who uh, was de-aged um so we shall we shall see we don't know much about the plot. It looks much the same. Looks like the end of World War Two. There seems Can to I be. Can I just ask you a question here? I mean, he was the perfect. You may. Thank you. He was the perfect time to chuck in a new character, um, and they didn't. A new, a new actor rather, and they didn't. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's you know, it's Harrison Ford still still. Is it? I understand. He's still got you know, you know, he's still got it. So why not? I mean, you, we have new characters. Obviously, Maz Mikkelsen is the main villain. Uh, we have Phoebe Waller Bridge from Fleabag, who also did rewrites on the last Bond movie. She seems to be not the love interest. There, this, there is a, a line of dialogue in the trailer where her relationship to Indiana Jones is confused or is uh, muddied somewhat. He says that she's his goddaughter he, uh, while she's stumbling over some other form of explanation. So it doesn't look like it's... Um, you know, an inappropriate ju- generation yeah, yeah, bridging yeah, yeah, yeah. romantic relationship, but she's not like a long lost daughter. Like in the last movie, he had a long lost son played by Shia LaBeouf. But, um, you know, but she, she's in it and she's always good value. So that'll be interesting to see her in a big, uh, you know, box office movie, you know, yeah. big, big blockbuster like this one. Um, you know, I mean, the big in, the big um, talking point other than that is probably that this is the first one that sh- uh, Steven Spielberg is not directing. No. Which is... Um, Significant or actually not? What do you think? Because he's part of the package. I, yeah, he's synonymous with the brand. I mean, the characters were created by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg directed them all. And yeah. that was the case up until now. Um, he's very much in the back seat. Now, James Mangold has taken over as a writer-director. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a very capable pair of hands. I think one of the most recent things he did of interest was Logan, you know, that sort of moody, aged Wolverine movie yep. from a couple of years ago, um, which the fans liked very, very much. I think that was actually the first superhero movie to ever get an Oscar nomination. It got it got an adapted screenplay nomination. Yeah, yeah. Um, so James Mangold is good stock. Um, however, you know, th- this is very much a Steven Spielberg thing. So we shall see. I mean, he's still involved. He's an executive producer. I'm sure he was on set and I'm sure he shared his thoughts regularly as he is wont to do. And as of course he is allowed to do because it's, it's his baby. Um, suffice to say, it does look like business as usual to a degree, uh, in as much as uh, the franchise has increasingly been, uh, circling the notion that they're all getting too old to be doing what they're doing anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you one good thing. John Williams is still in there. Well, there you go. Um, so, and he and he's you know part and parcel of this, and is just as guilty of flogging a dead horse as all the rest of them. Oh come on! Um, I mean, you say synonymous a lot. In fact, you've said it about three times. But can you beat? Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's one of those theme tunes that as if as soon as you have you you just have to go da, 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 and everybody knows <laughs> what you mean. Everybody's going to start. Kids yeah. of all ages are going to start jumping off their sofas exactly. and and trying to swing from tree to tree. Um, it's it's up right up there with the Jaws theme, you know. Oh, as, as um, John Williams, as well that's as what he does. I think that's what mm. he brings to every movie he's written for. If you think about it, brilliant idea that. He, 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 there is no other theme tune in anybody's head. There just couldn't be. Some movies you can say, yeah, well, that's okay, yeah, but no, but. And it's and it's transportative in a way that I think few theme songs are. I think the James Bond uh, theme tune is the same. Mm-hmm. Jaws, um, as we said, the Indiana Jones themes, maybe Psycho. one or two other. Yeah, the, well, the, exactly. yeah, yeah. One of us had to do that, really, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, so I mean, no, I'm not taking anything away from John Williams, but at the same time, is is there more Indiana Jones music in him? You know, of course, the, he will Maybe revisit the major themes. Yeah, but you know, scoring scoring a fifth instalment of any franchise oh, must be on. a bit. The guy's a, he's a genius. Mm-hmm. But he's very old too, and he's tired. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm sceptical. I'm sure he will he will uh, deliver a competent, if not, John, you know, legendary. John Williams. And what did you think of that score, Marshy? Well, it was competent. It's John it was competent. Williams. Yeah, the notes were in the right places. Yeah, <laughs> not necessarily in the right order. All right then. Cool. Mm. Let's get into the the goodies for today. So yeah. So anyway. So that's Indiana Jones Five, and that comes out in June, at least at the moment. Uh, and uh, we we shall see. Yep. We shall see. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay, well, let's begin with uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is the latest adaptation of, you know, the notorious D.H. Lawrence novel. Um, it's it's the classic uh, bit of rough movie, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's about, uh, you know, a, a young bride, uh, Constance, uh, who is, uh, she marries... A, a member of the aristocracy, landed gentry, and she is whisked off to his big stately house in the middle of the countryside, only for him to then go off in the and fight in the Great War and come back wheelchair bound, leaving her somewhat frustrated. She is pro- progressive. He, you know, led her to believe that he was progressive uh, as well in his um, opinions on uh, sex and 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 you know modern love shall we say, but quickly she finds that her needs are not being met by him and that he is increasingly retreating into into a shell uh, of his library and his books and his writing and uh, she's feeling neglected. She says she wants to start a family and he gives her his blessing that she can go out and find somebody, uh, you know, to to knock her up, essentially. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to know who, who it is and she doesn't really plan on it, but Mella's the uh the the working you know obviously working class um gameskeeper of the estate played by jack o'connell who's a who's a great young actor who i don't think has quite sort of found the you know the breakout role that i think he deserves he's done a lot of really great um british indie stuff yeah um but i but i don't think he's ever really sort of found has yet to find sort of a, a seminal role that will really sort of break him out to the um to an international audience but he plays mellers who you know is the inappropriate 
lover and uh you know and it all carries on that way i mean you know you know this story obviously very controversial at the time when it was released because of its frank depictions of sex and of um and of um of, of you know progressive women and and them taking um having having agency and taking uh was was control of their private lives yeah yeah and and it had a lot and it, i think wasn't it one of the first books to to her publish certain four-letter words which are um repeated prominently uh, within the uh, the soup. dialogue of this film yeah hmm? soup yeah and and it, and it got it got banned um they got um who is it? Was it? Was it Harper? Was it? I can't remember which publishers it was. Um, they were taken to court over it. They won. Outrage, um, basically, the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was big, great moral outrage. And and but obviously, at the heart of it, there is this sort of class system clash problem. You know, and it is very much the upstairs downstairs kind of stuff that has become so sanitized and commercialized in the likes of Downton Abbey, whereas. This this was kind of one of the first examples of that, but it was doing it in a very sort of salacious way. So this new version, you've got Emma Corrin, mm-hmm. uh, who it's interesting that this that this um, film is coming out from Emma Corrin right now because uh, they've been in the news lately, having declared themselves to be non-binary and uh, to start using they them pronouns and what have you for them to then appear like uh, at the same time in this sort of incredibly um aggressively hetero hetero sort of binary sexual movie there is no willing abandonment of disbelief when it comes to stars and their fans is there what what do you mean well like the audience are gonna even they they won't switch off won't be able to switch off and just say well it's it's acting isn't it in terms of the what you mean of the frank depictions of sins of the flesh Mm. Yeah, and um, well, that, I think that's what attracts a lot of people to this story, isn't it? You know, and there have been versions of this story told which have really leaned into kind of the pornographic aspects of it. Sylvia Crystal did a did a version of this. You know, Emmanuel Emmanuel herself has you know has done one of the up until now most uh, most famous adaptations. Yeah. Uh, there was another one. Sean Bean, I remember, was Mellor's in one version. I can't remember who he starred opposite. But, you know, so it's something that's been um, visited and revisited again and again and again. And what I will say is I think that this is a is a very faithful adaptation and I think it addresses the class aspects of it um, with, with the same level of directness as it does approach the, um, the sex scenes. You know, that this is quite bold and frank in its depictions of sex. But at the same time, by now, you're like, yeah, and? I know. That, you know that's what the, the story is. I mean, it's not gratuitous. Right. It's, it? like, it's like you can't shock us just by getting naked, you know, anymore. And to that, to that end, I have to say that it's a little bit, dare, dare I say, anticlimactic. Um, Was that a sex joke? Big. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, just it, that it fails to perform. Um, just, be, just because. I'm really glad it's nearly because you're time. like you carry on there, boy. Well, yeah, no, just just because it's because it's so well known. You're like, okay, well, you've got to reinvent it somehow. You've got to do something new with the material. And this seems to instead want to be like, no, let's go back to basics and let's just play it straight, as it were. And you're left kind of going. 
okay, okay, fine. You know, and it's and it's perfectly decent and the performances are strong and the production values are lush. You know, the locations are, are great. And I think uh, Matthew Duckett, who plays Mr. Ch- Lord Chatterley, yeah. is great. But you are left kind of going, you know, what, what, what else? All what right. else? Sit tight. He's talking about, say it again. Say it again. Lady Chapley's Lover, which is on Netflix All right. as of as of today. Join us on Facebook Live. We'd love to hear what you think about this. All I'm seeing at the moment, hearing at the moment is crickets. So uh, if your name is Steve, now is your time. Let's us get to the news. Radio 3 Weather. It's going So, Marshy, Lady Chatterley's lover, naughty but boring. It's Samey. just, you know, it just doesn't bring anything new to the table. Good. All right, then. Well, I wonder if you agree with him. Let's say. Facebook Live, yada yada, The Brew. What's next? All right, well, let's talk about The Menu, which is kind of the, the big new film out in cinemas this week that I have seen. Uh, written, directed by, by Mark Mylod, who's a British TV mogul who is um you know one of the creative uh, showrunners of succession most successfully most recently mm-hmm. great 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 show and this film is kind of at least in the offing uh exists in a se- similar kind of world we uh we open as a, a you know an assortment of uh guests meet at a pier in manhattan to be taken to uh, an exclusive private island just oh. off just off the coast where they have booked a very special dinner at Hawthorne, which is the most exclusive new you know eatery from the master chef uh, Julian Slowick, played by Rafe Fines. Uh, you know, among the guests you have um, Janet McTeer as a very well established, very pretentious, very up herself uh, food critic who was earlier in his his career um, very uh, influential in establishing Slowick's reputation as, you know, a a, a great artiste in in the culinary artiste. You've got John Leguizamo as a as an actor who's kind of a Brilliant. bit washed up. Isn't he? Yeah, he's 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 a bit washed up. He's past his prime, but you know he still like fancies himself a bit of a foodie. You've got like a small collective of um, very irritating hedge fund banker bros, and then <laughs> in the midst of all this, you have Tyler played by Nicholas Holt, who is the ultimate kind of foodie bore fanboy. You know who is there, um, just because. Um, you know, he, he he knows he thinks he knows more than the chef. Uh, you know, he wants to bore his poor date, played by Anya Taylor Joy, um, to tears with with how this infusion of foam served on a rock from the bed of the Hudson Bay is actually, you know, sort of fascinating and that you can you can spot the notes of this and that while Instagramming everything and um hoping to get likes and show off about the fact that he's he's been there. Mm. Um what becomes increasingly increasingly apparent is that Slowick, the chef himself, has more on the menu for these characters than just an incredibly pretentious uh, artisanal meal of, as I said, sort of foam and seaweed. There's a bread bo- breadboard that comes out with with no bread on it, you know. And it's it's the epitome of this kind of 
um, poncery <laughs> cuisine where the idea behind it is apparently more important than actually getting getting your calories and getting <laughs> fed and getting nourishment, which I, I find incredibly frustrating. Um, so it all starts off very, very interesting, and you realize very quickly that there is something far more sinister afoot underneath uh you know there is something brewing in the kitchen that uh you know might be serving up more than mere culinary well delight. look it's all there isn't it let's be perfectly honest now but but wait um so the the problem the problem is the once it kind of sets everything up uh-huh. It kind of runs out of ideas a little bit. It's it's definitely fun. It's darkly humorous. It takes takes a few uh, sort of uh, nasty twists and turns. You know, this is essentially kind of a a, a, a darkly comic satirical. So it is actually comedy. funny, despite some of the stuff that may it, or may it not is, happen. It is very funny. It okay. is very. I mean, it's a soft target. You know, the incredibly wealthy and pretentious. Um, you know, is is an easy. Uh, is an easy target to hit, but it but it does it well. This culture of um, incredibly sort of pretentious artisanal dining is also an easy target, but it but it skews it incredibly well. It it knows exactly how to poke fun of it whilst remaining authentic. Um, and then as as the twists and turns arise, uh, you know y- there is a lot of fun to be had. I did find that by the third act, it seemed to have done everything that it was going to do, surprised me in as many ways as it was going to surprise me. And now it was like, okay, well, let's just run with it for the next, for for the third act, which is fine. But but it ends up being perhaps less than it could, um, considering the build up and the promise and the and the creative talents involved. Maybe it did what the director wanted it to so things that would normally shock you 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 temporarily start to think okay there's another one or whatever you think you know it's, it's cons- vaguely it's certainly it certainly feels like sort of on the basis of mylod's success with succession he was essentially given carte blanche right. it was like you can go do whatever you want now it's, it's a fairly inexpensive movie you know it's got a competent cast but not an outrageously expensive cast most of it, if not the entire movie, takes place in a single location. Most of the film takes place in in a restaurant. Very theatrical, actually. Very staged. Which is which is very theatrical, you know, and it's deliberately a big sort of open plan space, minimalist, and yet, uh, you know, um, and there is sort of a power dynamic at play as well because you know you have all of the um, the cooks in the kitchen all just you know barking, yes, chef. No chef, you know, in, in, in to an almost sort of cultish level, and then you have his um, his flock, if you like, the the the, the guests there who are there to um, you know, worship at his table, if you like. But then he owes something to some of them because, as I said, you know, at least one of them helped him get to his status where he is now, and and all the rest. So there are some very interesting sort of um, inter character dynamics at play yeah uh and then in the midst of all this you have anya taylor joy's character who is kind of the one who was what isn't supposed to be there you know she's it's it's noted at the beginning that um although she is nicholas holt's date for the evening she's not the girl he said he was going to bring Ah. ahead of time so something's got to happen to her right oh no 
And um, and she's and she's a great actress. She's one of my favourite young actresses out there right now. Nicholas Holt is always good value. Yep. So it should be noted that it's kind of it's kind of a British movie masquerading as an American movie. Okay. You know, Ray Fiennes, Nicholas Holt, Annie Taylor Joy, um, and Mark Mylod, all British. Uh, and and yet this is a movie that that unfolds sort of just off the coast of Manhattan Island. Um, so yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, and I th- maybe for you know for enough people, it will it will do enough. I just felt that b- by the final course, I had um, oh. I was I was still hungry for a little more. I, I wanted more more of a surprise. What about Ray Fiennes? Oh well, he's he's just great, you know. As you kind of know, he's always going to be. We you know that he can play smooth and sophisticated and charming and charismatic, but he can also be sinister. Yeah, you know, you know his career is is endlessly interesting in his um in his choices. You know, he he has repeatedly veered down a darker path than perhaps he might have done. You know, rather than sort of his more sort of classically, you know, he's a, he's one of these classically Voldemort. trained <laughs> British British performers, yeah. right? Who um, um, Cemetery Junction? Be... I'm just going to chuck that out there. Which one? Cemetery Junction. I'm really being trivial, but it's such a funny film, and that he's. In... I, you're you're the huge Ricky Gervais fan, aren't you? And that's just At least that's I don't one of sound his. like him and look like him. No, well, we can't all have everything. <laughs> so anyway, so that's that. Yep. Um, I do want. I want to talk about Good Night Oppie. Go on then. Which is a documentary on Amazon Prime right now, which is all about the Mars missions to send a pair of rovers, um, Spirit and Opportunity, to the Mar- to Mars, where they were going to uh, send back st- sort of photos and they were going to analyze rock samples. For something like ninety days, okay, they were solar powered, and they thought they had about ninety days before the um, the batteries were gonna were gonna run out, or, or they were gonna conk out, and it ended up running for years and years and years and years. Okay. And what we what the film does is it follows the crew, uh, everybody at JPL and NASA, through this entire process. You get a bit of backstory about how they, you know, were turned on to uh, the, the space race and dedicated their careers to science and mathematics and uh, geology and, and astrophysics and all, and all of this stuff yeah. uh, and how they came from a surprising uh, range of different sort of backgrounds, not just within the U S but internationally as well. Mm. It's a very international team that was, um, that was built there, but also it becomes an incredibly sort of touching story about or about their relationship with this robot that uh, has some degree of autonomy. It can make choices about whether to go round a, a big boulder or not if it chooses to without being told to, but essentially with a machine and a machine that they're not even interacting with physically, but a machine that is millions of miles away. Uh, and yet they are sort of caring for it in the way that one might with a, with a, at first a child and then increasingly one might with a parent or grandparent. And so it's, it creates this fan, fascinating, almost in our, you know, you can't really articulate the relationship that builds between these scientists and their, uh, their creation. But the, what the film does is it, it attempts to articulate that and it attempts to probe what it means to have this kind of bond and to, and to nurture something and to care for something and why it doesn't need to have sort of blood pumping through its vein you don't yeah. need to sort of hold it in your arms in order to care for it right. and it's it, it's quite moving you know i'm a sucker for 
space anyway and anything to you know particularly documentaries about like you know the the moon landings or you know the apollo missions or mercury yeah. or anything like that um and so this ticks all of those boxes for me whilst at the same time it's got this really kind of unsentimental yet quite pro- quietly profound sensibility to it there are a number of musical sequences um not song and dance numbers but when um songs are used because it's a um it's a tradition that they carry over from manned missions where in the control room they essentially quote unquote wake up the crew every day before they start the day mm-hmm. by playing them a song and so they carry this over and they play a song to to Oppie and Spirit as they are affectionately known every morning even on the mornings when communication breaks down and when they can't get in touch and some of the song choices in some of those moments over the years are you know really pull at the heartstrings mm-hmm. and i was actually quite sort of quite taken by it in the end sounds like and i found it. myself Good. yeah i found myself quite moved and it's it's just a documentary you know inevitably there are going to be comparisons to um, like Pixar's movie Wally, Wally for even, example, um, that's obviously when you see the poster. It that's the first thing that comes into your mind. Yeah, but it, but it's all, but when you think about it and you and you look at the the context, the context of the of the when the um when this story took place, it's a reciprocal relationship because you're sitting here watching this, going, oh well, this is like Wally. But when they were making Wally, this was all going on. Yeah. So this was probably influencing the filmmakers as they were making Wally, which in turn influenced the audience to watch this film through certain a, a certain perspective. Um, you know, obviously it recalls things like Silent Running, as well. You know, another great film about sort of a man. They're, they're, in that case, it's the man on his own with only robots for company. Remind and us. And here it's kind of the other. Remind me. Silent Running is um oh what's his name? Great, great actor from the uh from from the sixties and seventies, uh who's I'm totally blanking Don't on worry. what his It'll name is now, which is really really embarrassing. Um it's the only movie directed by Douglas Trumbull, who obviously did all of the um model and spaceship special effects for like two thousand and one. Bruce yeah. Dern. That's what I'm thinking of. Bruce there Dern. You, go. you know, it's it's a very sort of environmental uh, themed movie from uh, 1972 okay. about these sort of great domes that are floating off into deep space in order to protect uh, the Earth's vegetation after there's you know after it's all becoming extinct on Earth, and then when he is told to destroy them all, he chooses not to and and ends up floating off into space with you know, with these sort of large greenhouses with only his like skeleton crew of Huey, Dewey and Louie, the little, uh, <laughs> the little robots. And he becomes, you know, they become his friends, his family, and, and, uh, and it becomes very sort of a moving, moving relationships. And there's definitely a parallel between, <clears throat> excuse me, his relationship with these robots and the scientists relationship with the, with the rovers up on Mars uh, in, in this story as well. So, I just, I just thought it was, I just thought it was great. You know, it is fascinating from a technical and scientific point of view, from uh, an exploration point of view. You know, you see all of this previously, you know, unseen footage. They're making all of these discoveries about the minerals on Mars and about the presence of water and uh, and all the rest of it. You know, yeah. so it's taking great strides in our knowledge about 
uh, you know, the existence or the possibility of existence of life on other planet, while at the same time, mm -hmm. what we are witnessing is Mars being populated by robots, <laughs> essentially. And so I, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. So that is on, yeah, Amazon Prime right now and is well worth checking out well for anybody. Worth. Well worth it, just for, for everybody. It's fun for the whole family. Great stuff. I Looking at my list, you've got nothing else unless you want to chuck something in. Well, very quickly, I just want to give a mention to Troll, oh, yeah, which is on, a, Nor a Norwegian movie on Netflix right now uh, from Ra Orthog, who is one of a collective of Norwegian filmmakers who have come up in the last sort of decade. Uh. Um, it seems that they all had a hand in a TV show from about 10 years ago called Hellfjord, okay. which if you ever get the sound, the, the opportunity to watch that, do, because it's, it's a kind of Twin Peaksy but slightly jokier. So imagine if sort of Edgar Wright made Twin Peaks in Norway. Uh, that That's a, a really great TV show that seemed to spurn... Um, or be the sort of springboard for the careers of a lot of these uh, uh, Norwegian filmmakers. Uh, Roar Orthug then went on to direct uh, the recent Tomb Raider reboot. Uh, he's gone back to, and, and, and one of those, there's been a series of Norwegian uh, disaster movies, The Wave, uh, The Earthquake, uh, The Burning Sea from over this year. Uh, he directed the, the Wave, which was, I think, the first of, of those ones. Mm. Um, this is essentially the story of a... Um, a paleontologist, Nora, played by Inna Maria Wilman, who is called in uh, by the government when drilling in a mountain that she that, that is supposed to be a sort of sacred mountain. They're drilling a mountain, uh, a tunnel through it. Yep. They awaken, they awaken something, something big, something mythological, something giant, which proceeds to uh, scare a lot of people, trample all the houses, and make its way towards the city, leaving giant footprints. Um, it owes a lot to Jurassic Park and to Gareth Edwards's um, recent Godzilla movie, mm -hmm. just in the character types and the, the set pieces and what have you. Uh, but it but it does what it does. So it's very familiar territory. You know, it, a, a great big creature essentially terrorizes a, a community, and you've got the scientists telling everybody <laughs> this is what's happening. And you've got the uh, the government people going, that's ridiculous. You've got the military people being overly gung-ho. Can I ask you a question? And like, this has been on my mind for ages, and I'm glad you brought this up. Every time there's a movie like this, mm -hmm. from the Iron Giant up to whatever, the thing is plainly superhuman, super everything, and you still have soldiers coming out shooting pistols at it. Every single time. Yeah. I don't get that. It's one of those weird things, isn't it? You know, it's like something Godzilla. Pop, pop, pop. They come out in their droves and just... They, it's a movie thing, isn't it? Well, it's all we have, you no, know, and, we and, have, and we, we, get scared of, we get scared of big things that we don't understand, so we shoot them. Yeah, but... You know, and we don't listen to the scientists. We don't listen to the science. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, and so it's very familiar... Yeah. And it it doesn't really step outside of its lane at all, but it's very competently done. The effects the effects are really good. Uh, you know, the, the performances are fine. Like I said, beat for beat for beat, you pretty much know where it's going. Yeah. It dabbles. It dabbles in sort of the north uh, Norse no, no. mythology of it all, fairy tale mythology. I could have done with more of that just to set it apart from the likes of King Kong and Godzilla and all the rest of it, because it it does seem to want to align its take on it 
with the mainstream a little bit too much, perhaps. Uh, but it's but it's decently done, slickly handled. Lovely. Quick reminder. Off you go. Okay, so that's called Troll. That is on Netflix right now, as is this new adaptation of Lady Chatterley's Lover, which I just wanted it to do more interesting, different stuff rather yeah. than merely go through the paces. Uh, over on uh, Prime Video, we have Goodnight Oppie, which is this documentary about the Mars rover robots, and it is brilliant. Uh, and out in cinemas right now is Ray Fiennes in The Menu. Oh, we've got one comment. And I've just seen right. it from Tom, who says, Good night, Oppie. Sounds like the one to watch for. Well, he just, so far, he says. So there you go. Well, you can't go far wrong with that one, Tom. Nice one. See you later. Marshy Movie Time. Back next week. Turn it up so I can feel.